I believe, I preach long enough to believe that when I get resistance on preaching a subject, um, I, I double down. Rather than just calling, I have a lot of people that could preach this morning. Rather than calling them and saying, would you preach for me? I realized that there was a message I had over a week. And um, you get resistance on it. That means there's somebody or multiple people here today that God wants you to hear this. I don't doubt that a bit. But I also believe the devil doesn't want you to hear it. And the evil one does not want you to understand what I'm going to talk about this morning. And he's been given some permission to hinder me. But the beauty of being hindered is God speaks more through a weak vessel than he does a strong one. I'm willing to be up here and be weak if I can understand what it is to have the power of God upon me and the very presence of God. So I don't believe it's too much. and The vessel's not very important is what I'm trying to say. The Word of God that is important. <clears throat> Take your Bibles to Jeremiah. I have it in the uh, bulletin Amos also. I think I'll... I may read Amos there, too. You know, once in a while, I actually stick with my plan. Take your, take your Bibles and, well, I'll tell you what. I'm about to take your Bibles and go to Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos. If you find Hosea, a pretty big book, then it's Joel, that's Amos. Okay, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, and Nahum, and all that, the 12 minor prophets. Amos is called the minor prophet by men. But there are no such thing as minor prophets. If you're a prophet, it's a major thing. What they mean by major prophet is the length of the books. You know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are, are big. How many, anybody that's reading their Bible through understand how big Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations is. Now, Daniel's a breath of fresh air, amen. But by the time I get out of uh, Lamentations, I'm just about ready to run in front of a car. I really, I'm just about ready to go out and jump off a building. Uh, I am so, <clears throat> I am so disappointed in the children of Israel, I can't even tell you. I'm not as disappointed as God was. Uh, but those, those old boys decided not to do what God wanted them to do. Isaiah uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel will record that in detail. And I'm going to speak a little bit about of the book of Jeremiah and a little bit of Amos. The book of Amos, again, the people had fallen back away from God. They had gotten cold. They had gotten lukewarm. They had kind of fallen back, relaxed. And God began to discipline them as he does his children. The discipline of God is from Genesis to Revelation. God loves his children. The discipline of God is not dispensational at all. It's from one end to the other. God disciplines his children when they do wrong, whatever age you may live in, our age, their age. He disciplines us to help us. 
Any good parent knows that, amen? Somebody say amen. Man, if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them according to the Bible. In fact, you actually hate them because you're condemning them to being disciplined by a higher power. See, God, as a parent, makes you the power immediately there to discipline them, to show them right and wrong, and that there's a principle that operates in life that wrong is punished. Now, you cannot teach them that principle, and when they go out, the police will teach them that principle. Amen, chief? The police will cheat. When, when the police uh, throw you down on the concrete face first and put their knee in your back, and, and your face is grinding up against the concrete, and you're saying, oh, that hurts my arm. They don't care. Because they are going to subdue you. And they're going to cuff you and they're going to throw you and hit your head on the door going in the cruiser. And they're going to take you in that old hot, sweaty cruiser to the prison. They're going to strip search you. Oh, oh, strip search you. Throw you in a prison with who knows what. You get to lay on a bed that somebody's urinated on. You get to use the toilet in front of everybody. You all haven't been to prison. Half our congregation has. You need to visit prison. I did prison ministry for about oh, five, six years up in Greenville, South Carolina. And brother, that taught me, man. I, you know what it taught me? I never want to go there involuntarily. I'm not like Brother Ludwig. He goes purposefully. That's beautiful, but they don't keep him. Amos chapter 4, verse 6, just two verses there. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and one of bread in all your places. You have, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden rain from you. Now I want you to underline that. I've withholden rain from you. When there were Yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and one piece thereon, whereupon it rained not. That place withered, didn't it? So two or three cities wandered under one city to drink water, but there were, they were not satisfied. They put their money in a bag with holes. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Amos is talking about a principle of discipline. Jeremiah picks up the same theme. We'll start in verse 20 of chapter 5. You want to flip over to that? James, Jeremiah 5.20. Declare this house of Jacob, publish it, Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. My mother used to say that in a shorter way. You are bullheaded. Anybody ever call, ever get called bullheaded beside me in here? Bullheaded. Bullheaded. You're a bullheaded boy. Stiff neck. Won't listen to me. You got eyes, but you don't see. You got ears, but you don't hear. You know what, it's, you know what it is. <clears throat> of course, now I'm sweet. Fear you not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence? which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by the perpetual decree that it cannot pass over. That's why there is no global warming. The ice is not going to melt and is not going one inch further than what God said it's supposed to go. 
And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. In 40 years, the ocean level in Lee County has gone up one quarter inch. I think we're good. But this people have a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter rain. And when you don't have, air, when you don't have uh, a good agricultural watering system, you need the former and latter rain. In his season, he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. Because if you don't have food, that's the bottom line, right? And this is the key verse in chapter 5 or 25. I dealt with this before. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholding good things from you. Well, I hope you get that. I'm going to share with you a principle of my life and a principle of the Bible that has helped me stay away from temptation. Now, if I can help you stay away from temptation, I'm going to help you this morning. But God wants to help you more, and I want to help you. Uh, because I'm, I'm just going to share some real common sense things with you. But if, if somehow you'll, you'll have ears to hear this morning, and the Holy Spirit, as he whispers what I'm teaching to you, because I'm not the teacher, he is. And if the Holy Spirit will whisper to you and, and burn in your mind, break through into the long-term memory, the principle of this message, it literally will save you from falling to temptation. It has been said we are our worst enemies. Amen. But that's that's not the way it goes. No, no, we often blame circumstances for where we're at. We blame accidents for where we're at. Or oh, this is a favorite one: the people around me. There, what's the problem? Uh, we blame lack of opportunity. We blame. If, we, if that doesn't work, we just say that's just the way the cards were dealt. Fate. We say fate didn't turn out for me. Or if that doesn't work, we'll blame enemies. Oh, you know, my enemies got through to me, and, and they hurt me, and they caused me. Uh, we'll, we'll blame those things and, and others for our failures and our troubles. And I'm not saying that there can't be some truth that those things can change things and, and, and get into us, especially if we react unbiblically to those things. But more than not, we're the problem. We are the problem. We are our worst enemy. The devil is, and he has been, and is a he lies, and he's a liar and a father of it, and he lies about God. Going all the way back to Eve, he lied about God to her. And he's lied to every person since Eve to today about who God is. And he has been, I'm sure he has been lying about God to you. Tries to give you the wrong view of God. Because if he can give you the wrong view of God, it's like a rudder on a ship. It'll change your direction. Your view of God is more important 
than a whole lot of other things because what if you have the biblical view of God, it will keep you in good stead in this life. The devil, he, he turns everything upside down. He says sin is good and will improve your life. In other words, when he tempts you, oftentimes when he tempts you, he's not tempting you with some horrible thing that you know absolutely, I mean, duh. He tempts you with stuff that you feel is going to improve your, it's going to somehow improve your situation. It's going to improve your, your, your you're going, it'll take you out of your depression. It, 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 will give you a, it will give you a thrill on Blueberry Hill. Is Vera, oh yeah, Vera, that was for you, brother. You know, you know, Robert and I are about the same generation. He's much older than I am, but nevertheless, He, he will, uh, he'll tell you this thing is going to be the best thing you've ever had. He'll tell you God's not really going to do anything about the sin. And after you do it, you know what? You can just ask him to forgive you and it'll be all fine. I had a guy that was getting ready to commit adultery on his wife. Getting ready to divorce his wife and commit and, and commit adultery with another woman, which was another man's wife. And he justified it because he said, God really doesn't care about that that much. Brother Benny. He believed a lie, didn't he? He already had it figured out. He said, You know, David had four wives and Solomon had a thought. You know, them Old Testament boys, God don't really care much about all that. I said, you're not living in David's time, and you're not living in Solomon's time. And by the way, if you need any, know anything about Solomon, it hurt him real bad. And I think if you know anything about David, I think women hurt him pretty bad, too. It wasn't a woman. It was him. It was Solomon. You understand what I'm saying? But he's a liar. And, and then he'll tell, I had a 26-year-old guy one time come to me and say, he wasn't married. He said, once in a while, I slip out and commit fornication. And he's going to Bible school. This kid was going to Bible school. And nobody in here, nobody you know. Because right now I'm thinking, you know, I wonder which one of our college kids told him that. No, not, none of the kids here, none of our people. Uh, I said, in my opinion, and I don't, my opinion may not be worth much, I think you're going to die and burn in hell. He goes, I'm born again. I'm saved. My sins are under the blood. I said, that attitude is not a born-again Christian's attitude. I somehow think you're going to be in the group that stands before Jesus in Matthew 7, 21, 23. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You're willfully and wantonly planning to do this sin, and you are banking on the forgiveness of God to make it all white again, so you're going to go on and do it. Now, brother, that's not the thought process of the Holy Spirit, I can tell you that. I mean, it was just my opinion. I just said you're going to burn in hell. And when you're in there, think about this old preacher warned you. You need to get saved. Um, he'll, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, you, you need to get the most out of life before it's too late. You're getting old. I've heard, these are things I've heard. You know, preacher, I just think, you know, this Christian life, I'm missing out on a bunch of stuff, and I've just got to get more. 
That's the devil lying to you. He's lying to you because the principle of what I'm talking about this morning, he's not mentioning. He's not mentioning at all. The devil's good at lying. The Bible says he deceiveth the whole world. I was talking to my wife to this uh, yesterday about the millennium. My wife and I talk about a lot of Bible stuff. And I was talking to her about the millennium, and I said, isn't it amazing to you that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, the laws of the curse are going to be pulled back, and people are going to live in, in honest tranquility and justice and peace and productivity for almost a thousand years. The devil's going to be released for a little period of time, and he's going to find a whole bunch of hoodlums that, that think Jesus is oppressing them, and, and they're going to want to get out from his authority. And, and by the way, he finds a whole bunch of them. They're going to come up against Jesus. I said, doesn't, how good is he at deceiving people, at lying? It's been said that you'd not be able to just sit across the table from the devil and win the argument. The only way you could possibly hold your own would be the Holy Spirit of God would just be, be hedging you about and protecting you. But you're not going to be able to outsmart him and out, outgun him and outrun him. And our text here, both whether it be Amos, and there's many other places, Scripture, Amos or Jeremiah, uh, these people had been believing the devil's lies at, at the point we read for quite a while. God was beginning to judge them with invasion, domination, enslavement, poverty, and eventual destruction and death. Their houses... If you read on in the books, their houses were going to be lost and other people were going to dwell in them. Their fields and their lands were going to be lost and their enemies were going to, were going to take over the, the hard work of their fields, the hard work of their vineyards, the hard work of their... The, the enemies were going to come in and they were going to live in their houses and they were going to enjoy the work of, their, of these people's hands. Their wealth... Their power, government, was going to be lost. That means uh, all of the gold, the silver, the precious minerals, everything, the water, everything that they had that they counted precious was going to be enjoyed by their enemies. I hope something's going ding, ding, ding in your head right now. This could be what's happening to America. It was going to be cruel. It was going to be unbearably, unbearably harsh. Who was doing all that? Who was doing that? God was. See, you got an idea who God is. And that idea, if it's not based on the Bible, may be wrong. Is that possible that you could have a wrong idea of God? Is it possible that you take him for a, 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 a pansy, a, a weak will, a old man who's senile and, oh, well, everything's going to be all right, it's all right, it's all right. You're not, you're, not gonna, you're not going to make a mock of God. 
That's why Hebrews chapter 12 was written. It was to warn the Christians of the day that you are going to be in, in serious trouble if you don't take serious the injunctions and the opportunities that you've been given. And God, have mercy on our soul if we don't. And this was one of the primary causes of the kind of judgment that they were under. In Jeremiah 5.25, our text, it says, Your iniquities have turned away these things. That was the good things he mentioned. And your sins are withholding good things from you. Now, let me take, not only, I've just talked about the, the, the active, proactive side of judgment that God had, did upon his people. But let me talk to you about the, uh, the omission. What does sin do? Sin not only causes the judgment and discipline of God to be upon us, but it also causes an omission judgment to come upon us. Let me give you some examples. Well, first of all, let me define iniquity. Iniquity, I mean, it can be defined a lot of different ways. I think it's doing it your way, not God's way. Either viewing him your way, not God's way. You got a false image of God. You, got, you made God in your own image. You're doing it your way. You, 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 can, you can swear it's right. You can feel it's right. You can have a euphoria it's right. But is it really right according to God? That's what we need to know. Every one of us is responsible to find out where God's at on all that. And he's given us his word to help us do that. He'll tell you where, where he's at on all of those issues. Anything you want to know. He says, your iniquities have turned away these things. Your sins are withholding good things from you. The word sin, specific acts or offenses against God. I think of David. I mean, I think everybody in this subject goes to David. How would you, how would you like... David was about 1,000 B.C. 3,000 years later, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is being talked about by a preacher in a land they didn't know existed in South Florida. But trust me, it's not just here he's being talked about. David's been talked about ever since practically that happened with Bathsheba all the way up to this very moment and past this moment to the last Christian up there, the last preacher up there, the last Bible reading person up there. Reason He's going to be. Now, first of all, is that severe or what? David did a lot of good things. He wrote some 72 of the 150 Psalms. Uh, he, he, he was... He, the throne of David is talked about. Jesus sitting on the throne of David. He was part of the lineage of Christ. A lot of good things have, have come upon David. But because, that, because of that, that, that sin of Bathsheba, that, that adultery he committed, an eventual murder, and then hiding it for almost a year and trying to somehow cover it up. He that covereth his sin, the Bible says, shall not prosper. But he that confesses them forsaketh it shall have mercy. I hate it. You know, is it really repentance when Nathan stands before you in front of, your, your, you know, the, the dignitaries of your court and tells the story and says, thou art the man? It would have been better had David come forward and said, folks, 
I've committed adultery with another man's wife and had the man murdered through my authority as a general. I put him in a spot and had him withdrew from him and had him killed. Uh, I am. I have. I think God would have had more mercy on him in there. I don't think the punishment would have been as far and as wide. But God had to come to him with his prophet, embarrass him in front of his whole uh, court. Plus, he said, "Listen, you did this in secret." I'm going to do this thing, this punishment I'm talking about to you. I'm going to do it before the, before the, before the sun, before all Israel. And of course, you know, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom, was used of God to drive him out, defile ten of his concubines publicly, shame him. You know that. David, Psalm 51 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And this is the part I want to get to. For I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. David understood all sin really goes back to God. But bigger than all of that, and I'm not going to talk about all the horror that went on through his family today. But what I want to talk about is what our, what our text talks about. Good has been withholding from you. Imagine with me how much good was withholding from David. And most of you read your Bible enough to know what actually physically happened, right? All the trouble in his home, eventually Absalom dying, another one of his sons dying, Tamar never being married, and all this other stuff. You know what happened there. But that was a that was a a if I call a, a proactive judgment by God upon his family. But what we do not know and cannot catalog is the good that God wanted to do. The good that God wanted to do for David that he couldn't do. That was withholding from him. Now here is the key and essence of what I'm trying to say this morning. When the devil comes by my house and he tries to run something by me that he says, well, thrill me, chill me, excite me. It'll be worth it all. It'll improve who I am. It's just going to make me a better man, uh, a richer man, a more deeper experience of life. Uh, this thought comes up. Bill, if you do that, the punishment's not what you have to worry about. The, the discipline is not what you really need to worry about. But you're going to be cheating yourself. You'll be cheating yourself from the blessing of God. Brother and sister in Christ, to me, that's bigger. That's bigger than the overt punishment, getting a spanking. That's bigger than getting a spanking. It's the good. Do you want God to pour out his blessings upon you this morning? Say amen. Who wouldn't? You want to love life and see good days? Keep your tongue from evil. 
Basically, what he's telling them, if you understand that this sin, this iniquity that you commit, not only do you have overt discipline, but you got omission of good things that could be poured upon you. Let me say this. I'm going to talk to Angie Moon right now. Micah just turned 13. Amazing you lived that long, son. If Micah lied about something, are you going to reward him? If, if, if Micah cheated on, a, on an exam in your class, are you going to reward him? No. You're not only going to punish him for doing that, but you're, you have some good things in mind that you say, I better not reward him because if I reward him, he's going to get the wrong idea, right? Wouldn't it make sense? If I reward evil, the guy's going to get the wrong, Micah, even Micah, as sweet as he is, he's going to get the wrong idea. Man, I don't want to cheat myself. That's the worst person in the world to cheat. Yourself. Quit cheating yourself. Quit it. Look. I just can't imagine. I sit down and meditate on, on David sometimes, on what he would have been. What would have happened? What could have been recorded in Scripture? I can tell you this. We wouldn't be talking about him in a negative way today. You'd be saying, David, King David, was a righteous man that loved God and did what was right before him, and God raised him up. And by the way, God took him from the sheep coat and set him on the throne of Israel. And he told him, if that hadn't been enough, I would have done this and that for you. I wanted to hear the this and that. What about you, preacher? I wanted to... Nathan just kind of did that. He'd have done this. and I want to hear, what would all of you, what would he have done for David had he been able to? But he couldn't do it. Because God couldn't reward evil. Now, you, you parents in this room, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a parent, you can imagine what I'm talking about. But you actually got to almost be a parent to get this. You want good for your children. You deeply want good for your grandchildren. You want good things to come to them, but it cannot happen. And they will cheat themselves by their own iniquities and their sins. Now, I know I'm talking about something visible this morning, because see, the discipline is visible. That's easy to talk about. You know, the Absalom rebellion and, and all the other things that went on. That, that's pretty easy to talk about, and the Bible you know, enumerates it. But what I'm talking about is invisible. But I want you to get this and ask God to give this to you. When, when, the, when, when the devil comes by your house and, and, and temptation wants you to do something you know is wrong, yeah, you're going to get spanked for it. Don't get me wrong because God loves you. But the big thing is what is, what is going to be withheld from you. It's going to be withheld. You know, one thing can be withheld is freedom. Oh, here's the, here is the theme verse of our you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. One of the consequences that will be taken away from you is your freedom. That's invisible. That you won't, because when you sin, it's addictive in nature and and you're holding by the cords of your, Proverbs says, you're holding by the cords of your own sin. 
and I've said this over and over, encapsulated in sin is its own punishment. Sin is like a pill with the little tiny time pills. That's for you, Robert. Little tiny time pill, contact tiny time pills. And when you take it, sin begins to release the punishment in you as you take it. You, ooh, that was good. It's like eating dessert all the time. Going in is fine. Pretty soon your coats don't fit you, your pants don't fit you. You broke the scale at home. The consequences, amen? The consequences come. But God wants to bless us. I don't even have time to rehearse it, but Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And I like this. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You know what I do? I get before God and said, I want the good. I want the good. God, don't withhold the good from me. Don't, don't, my, oh, God, help me to, to understand this principle so that I can, when temptation comes by, I don't care how well it looks. I don't care how sweet it, it may taste. I don't care what it is. I'm willing to say no. You know, they had a campaign a few years ago, just say no. I thought how futile that was without the power of God. You can't do this in the flesh, by the way. The arm of the flesh will fail you. But in coupled with the will of the Holy Spirit, you and the Holy Spirit make a majority. And you, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, can say no, can be an overcomer, and can have victory. It's possible. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why don't you this morning decide that you're going to put your mind on this and you're going to make this happen in God? And you're, not only that, you're going to ask God to make it happen. This isn't just an act of the will. God, the Holy Spirit, which is, by the way, our down payment from from God, and we're sealed under the day of redemption. He's an earnest or down payment of the good things that God has coming for us. Let me, let me take this one step further. The time you're using up, how many minutes do you, you, did you know you only have so many minutes, so many days, so many years, right? So many seconds to live. God knows, teach us the number of our days. The time you use to do evil is not, refundable. You use it up. It's gone. That's time you could have used to do good. And the reward of doing good is what? Eternal. The reward of doing good is eternal. Jesus clearly, clearly said, don't store your treasures up down here where the moth corrupts them, the, the rust corrupts them, and the thief will break through and steal. Put your treasures in heaven where none of those things happen. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, the, the, one of the, uh, if I may say, the invisible punishments of sin is the time you used up in doing it, you cheated yourself out of the good that God wanted you to do and would have rewarded you to do eternally. You say, I don't care. You will. I'm here telling you this morning, you will care. And some of you have lived this life, and some of you have, have understood this principle, and some of you are sitting there saying, yes, preacher, this is right. 
Your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholding good things from you. There is nothing positive that sin will do for you. Not a thing, not one thing positive. I hope this morning that you say, Brother Bill, I am willing, by the grace of God, to ask God to help me to see this. And I want to quit cheating myself, stealing from myself, robbing myself by giving in to temptation. And not only suffering the overt discipline of it, but the omission, the invisible of God's holding back good things. Man, I don't want to hold God's hand back from me. I want to, I want to have the good things of God in my life. I want him to bless my wife and I and, and to help us and to help my child and to help his kids and help the kids, uh, help, help the, the, if they ever get married, grandkids. And the grandkids, grandkids, way past where I'm at. If it's ever to happen, that's the way it's going to happen. God's going to do it. I hope you get this today. Our Heavenly Father, we come before thee in the name above every name, and we ask you that you'd help us. Thank you for allowing me to do this this morning. We pray that the Word of God would make this clearer than I could. And in my weakness, may your power go through. And Father, forgive us where we have idiotically, of course, uh, Huh. obeyed the voice of the devil. How stupid. How stupid, stupid it is. Help us to have discernment between that which is good and that which is evil. The same thing Solomon asked for. But did not himself follow. But help us to follow it. Father, help. May the little small voice, that blessed Holy Spirit, still small voice come to us when the devil comes by. There's some folks in this room. I'm not thinking anybody specifically, but just a group this big that have cheated themselves and are cheating themselves out of the blessings of Almighty God that made everything you see and the things you don't see. Father, help us. Shake ourselves. Say, Brother Bill, by the grace of God, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to ask God to help me think about it, to burn this in my mind. You may be here today without Christ as your Savior. You've never actually said yes to Jesus. I, you've not been willing to confess you're a sinner, unable to save yourself by any good means or any good works, any, any religious acts, any baptism, any membership, any communion, but the only way you can be saved is you will repent and trust Christ as your Savior. Trust in the finished work he did upon Calvary, the shedding of his blood, the eventual sealing and the resurrection. And of all the people out there that said they were the Messiah, Jesus Christ was sealed by the resurrection as the one that told the truth. You believe that. Oh, you don't have to believe a bunch. You don't have to know much more, but you believe that. And would you this morning say, yes, I believe that. Lord Jesus, save me. I don't think there's a set phrase you say. I believe the Holy Spirit has to come to you and interpolate that. But today you'll say in some way, I, I need Christ as my Savior. My sins need to be forgiven under the blood. May it be so that today that could be the day. We're here to facilitate you, to help you in any way we can privately, 
unobtrusively kindly. And when we sing in a moment, if you'll come forward, we'll go in a back room one-to-one and just explain the gospel as it was explained to us. Let us do that. Jesus, make it so. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.